Welcome to another episode of the Chatted Up Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Shooter, bringing you interviews, news, and reviews about all things Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We've got a really great episode for you this week, and we're going to start things off with This Day in Uper History, which is brought to you by the good folks at Pasty.com. That's P-A-S-T-Y dot com and the Pasty Central Facebook page. And we actually have something special for you this week. Uh, we're starting a three-part series on the history of Fort Wilkins, which is up in Copper Harbor. Um, it's kind of fitting that we are, are starting this uh, this week because this week's guest, which you'll find out about in a little bit here, uh, is actually located up in the Keweenaw. So anyways, here is this day in Uper history. At the age of 23, Douglas Houghton was initiated to life in the North Woods when he accompanied Henry Schoolcraft's expedition to discover the sources of the Mississippi in 1832. As surgeon for the exploration party, young Dr. Douglas distinguished himself for documenting botanical and geological discoveries along the way. In recognition of his work, the new Michigan legislature appropriated money for the first geological survey in the state and Houghton began field work in the copper country in 1839. If the copper boom was a flame that engulfed the Keweenaw Peninsula, the match was struck by Houghton's official report of his findings in 1841. A handful of prospectors landed in Copper Harbor in 1843, and the rush was on. With the sudden arrival of exploration parties and speculators, the rapid formation of mining companies, Concerns were raised in Washington about the need for law and order among the miners and the threat of the Chippewa tribes wanting to reclaim their lost land. Secretary of War William Wilkins dispatched two companies of infantry to the remote region in May of 1844. By November, Fort Wilkins had been constructed, the northernmost outpost in the western defense perimeter that stretched from the Gulf of Mexico to the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula. Unlike other regions on the western frontier, the threat of Native American hostilities never materialized, and Fort Wilkins became of little military significance. The garrison of 105 men found Copper Country winters to be long and cold, with the biggest enemies being boredom, low morale, and illegal whiskey. Less than a year after the fort was built, half the troops were transferred to Texas in preparation for the Mexican War. The rest of the fort's occupants shipped out a year later, and in 1846, less than two years old, Fort Wilkins was abandoned. The buildings would remain silent for two decades as the focus of the copper boom shifted south in the peninsula and law enforcement was passed to local communities. Would the gates of Fort Wilkins ever open again? The answer to that question would have to wait until the end of the Civil War. And another huge thank you to the folks over at Pasty.com and the Pasty Central Facebook page for making that segment possible. It's time for this week's interview, and it is with Emily Geiger. Uh, Emily is located up in the Keweenaw, and she's got some really cool stuff going on that's a cross between science and beer which i mean you can't really get much better of a combination than that so um 
as I always say, I know I'm a broken record, but um, I'll just say it again. I'm going to let the interview speak for itself. So without further ado, let's chat it up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Emily Geiger. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. This is a, a topic that's near and dear to, to my heart, and I think a lot of Youper's hearts, talking a lot about, you know, the beer world. But um, before we get into all that, um, are you originally from the UP? Um, no, I actually am from Western Michigan, so okay. Muskegon precisely Muskegon area all right so I guess how did you make your way up up here to the UP then um so in 2007 is when I made my move to Houghton uh, for school at Michigan Tech um my parents both are northern alumni and so we'd come up to the UP um for summer vacations pretty much throughout my whole um youth um so yeah, I, I checked out Michigan Tech um, on one of their college visit days with my dad, and then I uh, decided this is where I wanted to go. And so I've been up here since 2007 for school. Okay, so you, you came up in 2007 and you haven't left. No, it's a wonderful place. <laughs> it is, it is. It's magical. Yeah, definitely. So I know that you got your degrees at Tech in, in biochemistry and molecular biology but what sort of drew you towards like fermentation science and yeast as like your specialties? Um, so the sciences in general, I've always been um, attracted to. I'm a very objective person. Um, so I think science or the field of science um, aligns with my personality. <laughs> um, but as far as fermentation science goes, um, in high school, you know, you, you take chemistry and you take biology, um, but at Tech, that was my first exposure to microbiology. Um, so this whole world that you can't even, you know, see with your naked eye and that I pretty much didn't really know existed. Um, so I became really um, enthused with microbiology and um, I ended up minoring in it. Um, but then just the applications of it, such as in brewing, um, kind of solidified my um, studies with okay. microbiology. So as you were going through school and doing this, were you, were you working for KBC already or did that come when you like finished your schooling or when, when did that kind of come along in the process? Um, so I was, uh, the opportunity to work at the Cumina Brewing Company uh, began when I was in graduate school actually. Um, okay. So the brewery actually reached out to the microbiology professor at Tech and looked for recommendations. Um, so Dr. Bagley, she's a huge mentor of mine, but she lined me up um, with this part-time job at the brewery um, as their staff microbiologist. And so um, I've been with, I started that in 2012, I believe, in the summer. Um, so I've been there ever since, and I love it. Love my job there. What, what exactly does a staff microbiologist do at a brewery? Um, well, I think it can vary, you know, at different breweries. Um, for the Cubana Brewing Company, I, um, you could say I'm a yeast manager. Um, so I propagate all the yeast that they brew with. Um, I check their fermentations for quality. Um, and then obviously we want, we have different critical control points that we check throughout the brewing process. Um, so I pretty much just collect data for each batch of beer that's through that place. Okay. Interesting. Um, Speaking of yeast, obviously, I mean, that's what we're here to talk about in your own business that you have, uh, 
craft cultures. So for those listening in that may not be familiar, what exactly is craft cultures? Um, so craft cultures is a small company. I, I started in 2013. Um, this was after my time at KBC for a while. Um, I think it was about a year. Um, during my time there, um, we switched from buying yeast for the brewery to propagating our own. Um, and I started to realize there was this huge, you know, gap in the industry. Um, for example, Michigan is a great beer state and we did not have a local yeast provider. Um, so in 2013, I, um, started this business that provides liquid yeast cultures to brewers, commercial brewers, and to home brewers. Um, and then I also provide services such as, um, education on yeast health and maintenance and, um, quality control. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm naive and I'm sure a lot of people are listening that maybe like beer, but are naive to the brewing process. What is it about yeast that's like so important to, to, is, does that give you like the different flavor or, or I guess where, what, why is that so important to the process? So, um, in addition to the malt bill that's used and the different mashing programs that brewers are using, um, yeast are a way to, uh, control the flavor and aroma of a beer. Okay. Um, so, uh, style has traditional brewing strains that are used to brew specific styles. Um, so, you know, one of the products that we offer is liquid yeast cultures. And so we have a variety of traditional brewing strains that you can use to make different styles of beer. Okay. That's, that's interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Um, so you started this around like 2013. Was it just like you or do you have employees or has it grown over the years? Like what's been the evolution of this? Um, so I do not have any employees. Um, my okay. husband, he actually brews for the QNA Brewing Company. Oh, okay. And he puts in a lot of, uh, work for me. He helps me out. Um, but what's awesome about yeast is that they are biological organisms. So as long as they're well kept and, you know, made happy, make sure they have food, that their, uh, media is sterile. It's, uh, they do a lot of the work <laughs> by multiplying. <laughs> So it's just been me. I've had a business partner. Um, it was a, or he was a husband um, of a wife at Tech, or his wife worked for Tech, and then he helped me um, start the business through Smart Zone. So my company is a Smart Zone company where I took a course there on starting up a business. Awesome. Um, and so I was kind of partnered up with a guy at the time. Um, at, currently, we're not working together anymore, so it's just my husband and I. Okay. Um, that sling yeast. <laughs> so uh, from, from my understanding of the whole process, um, you kind of travel around the UP gathering different strains, right? Yeah. Y yep. So yeast traps all set up in different locations too. Okay, so, uh, so what is a yeast trapper? I guess, how, how would you collect? <laughs> so the... um, it's just a mason jar. So you okay. use a mason jar, it's sterile, you fill it with a sterile medium. Um, typically for a beer, we'd use wort. And um, then you just cover it with cheesecloth to prevent airborne, or to prevent insects, for example, from climbing into your traps. Um, yeast is actually in the air all around us. Um, so when we set these traps, we try and set them, you know, in places that are outdoors. We don't want um, certain types of yeast. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, we have these outdoor traps, you know, we usually have them out pretty much um, 
in the middle of nature. And once the media in the jar gets cloudy, that means there's some sort of microbial growth in there. So then I'll take the trap stack to the lab. Okay. All right. So I don't want you to give away any of like your secret spots or anything, but <laughs> like, what are some of the, the places, uh, you know, around the UP that you, you've kind of gathered, gathered yeast at? Um, so I have a friend in Marquette who's set up a few traps for me there um, by like the Black Rocks or um, in Eagle River, there's a beach and I have a brewer friend from, um, he doesn't work for them anymore, but he was at Schmoe's Brewing Company, which is a Michigan Tech alum brewery in Grand Rapids. Um, but he was <laughs> like, you have to go to this beach um, the Fitz is on it, and it just smells yeasty. <laughs> so um, out on the beach there on Lake Superior, you know, that's where we captured the Eagle River ale yeast, and it's probably our top-selling um, indigenous strain. That's really cool. I, I like the idea of of gathering these strains from from right here in the UP. That's that's definitely cool. Um, you know, you've mentioned kind of top selling or, or different things like that. Um, what are some of the, the like brewers or breweries that, that people might know, some of the more notable ones? What, what some, some of the breweries have you worked with? Um, so I have done business with quite a few breweries. Some are more regular customers than others okay. um, because some people will just want to do an all Michigan beer. Um, so they'll come to us for the yeast for that recipe. Um, but uh, homegrown brewing company. Um, let's see a couple of new ones that I, I loaded dice isn't even open yet. Um, but I've just been working with those guys and final gravity brewing okay. company. Um, the library up here in Houghton. Um, you know, I've worked with, let's see, you know, I've had rare bird and the loading dock or the filling station. Mm -hmm. I'm like drawing a blank as, you ask me this right now. Well, that's okay. If New you Holland think you come back one. to it, <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> okay. that's no problem. I, I understand. Um, so another question I have is, okay, so you collect these strains, you, you have these traps out. Once you have them collected, like, what do you do with them from there when you, when you bring them back? What, what happens okay, next? So, yep. I get these traps. They're all murky, if you will. I'll bring them back to the lab and use some basic microbiology techniques, such as pure culture technique to separate the different species that live in that community or in that jar. Um, so once I identify yeast species or yeast colonies that have flourished from the trap, um, then I'll do some, so I can do DNA sequencing. I do alcohol tolerance because in the brewery, we wanna make sure that we can control the organisms that we bring in. Um, I do ale lager differentiation tests. Um, and then we just brew with them. And sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a dumper, or you just <laughs> no go. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, like, start to finish, how long is that process from, like, okay, we trap to we can sell this to a client? Um, I would say probably about two to three weeks, um, okay. if I'm really pushing it. Um, I do offer these services also to breweries. There's... Um, well, actually, the most recently, Iron Fish Distillery, they're in Traverse City area. Yep. Um, they've sent me grain so I've, from their um, fields, so I've isolated yeast for them. Um, so a lot of breweries also have proprietary strains, which I bank, um, but we'll do these projects with them independently 
Um, oh, so okay. That's interesting. So certain breweries, like that's just their strain. They're the only one that can use it. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, if you've got like a certain flavor of beer, I, I guess I would have never thought of proprietary yeast. That's, that's right. Really, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, so what, what is it about your yeast that makes these companies want to work with you? I'm guessing there's probably other companies out there that are like, do what you do. I mean, there's gotta be some competition, right? Yeah. Um, there's definitely some competition. Um, there's the, the yeast giants, um, like Y yeast and white labs, you know, in California, um, okay. and some smaller yeast companies have popped up as well. Um, but I think a huge advantage is that, um, people want to use craft cultures yeast because I grow it up in small craft, um, pitches, or I grow this yeast up to order. So it's never sitting around. Um, it's fresh and pure, um, per order. Um, also the expertise, um, like having, being able to work with these clients or breweries or brewers more specifically, um, and build relationships with them. I think that's really cool. Sure. Something that so, being small allows for. So I'm, the way I'm kind of like picturing it in my head is kind of like coming to you is almost like getting something from the farmer's market instead of going to like a chain store. Like it's way more fresh. It's like local. Exactly. Brand. Okay. Yep. yep. Good analogy. All right. Cool. So I'm not, I'm all right. So I'm picturing this, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing, I mean, have they, I, from as far as what I know of the the craft beer industry, it seems like things have just like boomed. Has things kind of leveled off on that or are things still growing crazy or? Um, I would say up until this pandemic began, right. you know, things have been steadily growing. Um, our sales are down, I mean, right now, but it's because people aren't going out socializing at their local tap rooms so much. Um, sure. Yeah. Otherwise I'd say the industry has been growing, but you know, like with all industries, there is that cap, um, right. bubble burst. So, um, yeah, before the pandemic, I was still reaching out, you know, pretty regularly. Um, but not real recently. Sure. Um, so besides like the pandemic and things kind of slowing down, what other sort of challenges do you kind of face with, with what you do? Um, I think part so I love being in the UP, but I think being so, you know, far the distance from, um, a huge, uh, resource down, you know, my clients down state. Um, I think that's a hurdle that I deal with constantly is being wanting, wanting to go out marketing, wanting to go, you know, make rounds. Um, I also teach full time up here at the community college. Okay. Um, so I don't get to go down as much as I'd like to. And I will, Michigan is where my customer basis is basically. Sure. And I, I mean, without really knowing exactly what goes into the, the real like science behind the ease process, I'm guessing some of that probably has to be a little bit difficult, like avoiding that contamination that you're talking about and like keeping that standard. I mean, is there quite a bit that goes into that? Yeah, I do. I think basic microbiology techniques, you know, where you learn, um, you know, how to isolate and how to, you know, have aseptic techniques so that you can avoid contamination. It comes pretty regularly. Um, fortunately right now, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't have any employees. So, you know, I, it's all on me. 
So sure. <laughs> making sure I use good technique. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you touched a little bit on the fact that, you know, it's hard being a, a business here in the UP and, and kind of getting to some of those other spots. So I guess, what is it about the upper peninsula that, you know, makes you want to stay here and live here and, and work here? What, what, what keeps you in the upper peninsula? Um, I would say probably the beauty of nature and then the community I've built during my time here. Um, whether it be friends or colleagues, you know, it's a pretty, I have a pretty great group that I surround myself with up here. Um, and then I love being outside. And so awesome. Awesome. Two months out of the year, you get, (laughs) it's nice and warm. Well, especially up there, you got to really like snow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I do. Um, so when you're not like working and juggling your multiple jobs, you spend most of your time outside. Like what are some of the stuff, the things that you like to do when you're not like working? Um, I just started fishing again. Um, I had a baby in March actually, or February, February. Congratulations. Uh, So I'm busy with starting a family now. Um, He keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. So I'm assuming as a part of your job, you get to try some of these beers that your yeast cultures go into. So what would you say is, is your favorite one? Is it the Eagle River? I mean, you said that's the, the, um, I, that's probably one of, you know, the best selling indigenous strains, but I like the flavor and aromas that are produced by our rock cut alias. They're a little bit more mild. Um, all of these indigenous strains have this phenolic spicy terroir, like it's just, I don't know, as of now, I'm calling it like Michigan's flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's unique. It's not, you know, keen to a specific traditional beer style. It's unique in its own way. Um, But the rock cut ale yeast, um, people have brewed IPAs with it. And um, it, you know, it has this uniqueness to it, but it's not too crazy um, far Mm -hmm. off from traditional styles. So, okay. Um, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you about is, um, are there a lot of other like females that are in the like brewing industry or doing what you're doing? I feel like there's such a big push for getting more females involved in STEM stuff. And, and so that's, that's one thing that I I think is awesome. So I'm, I'm curious to know if there's a lot of other, do you see a lot of other women like yourself in the industry or, or, or getting involved? Um, I do have a bunch of gal pals in the industry, and I would say, I, have you heard of Fermenta? I have not. What, uh, enlighten okay. me. <laughs> okay, so Fermenta is a um, beer enthusiast group, um, and don't quote me on this, but I believe when it was formed, it was just females or focused on females, so that's where I made a lot of connections. Sure. Um, I know that now it's a, just a beer enthusiast group, so male or female, you know, anyone okay. is welcome, um, but that's the group. Um, that where I have met other women. Um, I know it is, it's male dominated. Um, I spoke at the Michigan Brewers Conference, uh, maybe in 2015, 2014, 15. And it was just a room full of beards. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of ladies um, in attendance, but um, I'm hoping groups like Fermenta, and I know that there's like the Pink Boot Society. um, There are some initiatives to try and increase with the presence of females. Okay. That's awesome. Um, we've kind of hit on a lot of the stuff that I really wanted to, to talk to you about. Is there anything that you felt like I missed or anything else you wanted to, to touch on more? 
Um, no, I would probably just say that, yeah, I, uh, what attracts me to the industry is its collaborative nature. Um, uh, in the science world, there, there's a lot of competitiveness and everyone just wants to make good beer, I see, seems to be. Um, so I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, I'm not very deeply immersed in the beer world, but the stuff that I do see and the friends that I do have that are a part of that world, it seems like if a brewery like is short on something or needs something, they can call another brewery that's close by and, and you guys help each other out. And it, it seems very, very collaborative and everybody's kind of all in it together, which is definitely cool to see. Yep. Yep. I love that about it. Awesome. So all right, well, um, then I have to ask you my final question that I ask everybody, and that's how do you how do you like your pasty? Are you a ketchup person, gravy person, something different? Yeah, I'm definitely a ketchup person, um, okay. and I, yeah, I know it's supposed to be like a handy little sandwich, you know, a little pouch, but I like to just, I dice it up with, you know, knife and fork and yeah. just lather the ketchup on it, but. So where's the yeah. hot spot to get a good pasty up, up in, up in your neck of the woods? Um, well, Roy's Bakery, my favorite. Um, they have the traditional, you know, pasty, but they also have one called Thanksgiving dinner. Ooh. It's delicious. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, shout, shout out to that bakery. Then we'll give them a free plug. I always like to ask where, where the best spot is to <laughs> right? get one. So, well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This has been really, really interesting. And I think a lot of other people will find it interesting because if there's one thing that we do well in the UP, it's drink some beer and talk about beer. So you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Yep. And that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode. Another huge thank you to Emily for taking the time to sit down with me and, and chat about uh, something that I find super interesting and just you know, in my opinion, a really cool and unique uh, thing going on here in, in the Upper Peninsula. Um, per usual, my regular housekeeping, um, I want to hear from you guys. Um, so please continue to send me your feedback. Uh, you can find me at chatituppod at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just type in the Chat It Up podcast and you should be able to find me. Uh, otherwise, please, wherever you're listening in, if you could subscribe, rate, and leave me a review, I would really appreciate that as well. Uh, but other than that, that's going to wrap things up here. So as always, I'm your host, Shooter, reminding you to keep your chin up and your eyes forward. <laughs>